Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, presented by STBB. A conversation dedicated to answering your legal questions and a platform where our team of specialist attorneys share their expert advice and legal know-how with South Africans. So happy to have you back, and we're so pleased to have our guest speaker, Kent Carroll, with us today. And Kent is a director at Crow Horworth, and he is the go-to guru on all things complicated around tax. And we're certainly very happy to have his firm um, on call when we have complicated um, estate tax matters and so we're very happy to hand over and Kim thanks so much for joining us and looking forward to what you have to share with us. Thank, thanks so much, thanks for inviting me, happy to use the opportunity so let's get right to it, uh, we don't have that much time. So what I want to deal with is a quick overview of the basic tax system in South Africa, relate a little bit to estates um, and happy to answer questions if they come up uh, either during or, or after. So, uh, um, yeah, it's good to be here. So the first important aspect to consider and to remember is that South Africa doesn't tax profits. That's not the way our tax system works. Our tax system works on a, on a formula. We tax taxable income. That's not the same as profits. And taxable income starts by with a, 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 an, a, a concept called gross income. Strange concept, doesn't make all that much sense, but it's really all amounts received or accrued during a tax year, but, those, but excluding those of a capital nature. So I'll come back to capital profits a little bit later, but basically amounts received for your own benefit. So if a lawyer receives monies in trust for a client, that's not considered as received. But if it's received for your own benefit, it starts off, it's on that top line, it's part of gross income. Income from capital, it, well, gross income would be mainly income from capital employed, like interest earned or investment income, or from services provided. Those are the main two sources. There are other sources as well, but those are the main two sources of, of gross income. And then there are many special provisions where items are excluded and items included and those type of things. But basically, you've got a gross income, amounts received and accrued during the year of assessment, with, but excluding those items of a capital nature. You then, from gross income, you deduct exempt income. And exempt income, the best example I give is local company dividends, because the company deducts a withholding tax of 20%, and the rest is yours tax-free. That's an exemption. So you, it, it was included in the top line. Dividends were amounts received or accrued. You take off now the exempt income, and now you've got a concept called income. Now, you've got income now, but we still haven't got to taxable income. Um, 
from the item of income, you now deduct deductions. And those deductions can be a varied range of expenses, but it's ex- basically expenses actually incurred in the production of income. So it's expenses actually incurred in the production of income. The, the Now, having deducted the deductions from income, you now get to taxable income. And it's on the amount of taxable income that you're going to be subject to tax. The tax tables are now applied to arrive at the amount of tax payable. Now, the deductions actually is a, a very wide concept because it includes... Um, it includes normal business expenses, but excludes things like personal expenses. It excludes items of a capital nature because that will be used for capital gains, which I'll come back to in a few moments. So you've got, again, with, with expenses, it's, again, actually incurred in the production of income. But it's not only amounts that have actually been paid out. It's As long as the expenses incurred in the, in the year of assessment, that's already enough to get a deduction. Uh, then there's special allowances like allowed for depreciation and that type of thing. Those are called wear and tear or capital allowances, but we're now going to get to taxable income. So now that we've got to taxable income, how do you pay that tax? Well, you pay it uh, in two forms usually. Firstly, there's PAYE, so you're getting a salary. The employer deducts PAYE. That's part payment of your tax for the year. Then you've got those who are not in employment, or you might have, in addition to employment, other sources of income, and then you become a provisional taxpayer. And it's interesting, provisional taxpayers get extremely confused with the tax system that we use because provisional tax is paid roughly every six months, so if we take the year in it's just passed in February 2022, there would have been a first provisional payment in August 2021, a second provisional payment in February 20, sorry, August 21, February 20, yeah, February 22. Um, and that more or less should have covered your tax liability for the year. But if it isn't and you've short paid, then at the, up before the end of September of 2022, you can make a top-up payment to finally com- finish your, your tax for that year. But if you just realize that in September 22, you're actually paying the last payment for the year that's just passed. But the, just the previous month in August 2022, you've got the first payment for the next year. Enough to confuse everybody. Um, but that's the way the system works. Now, let's go back to CGT. Firstly, there's no such thing as capital gains tax. Yeah, there is no separate tax called capital gains tax. We all talk about it, but it doesn't exist. So how it works is this. We determine the capital gain, and I'll explain how that's arrived at in a few moments. And then we take a percentage of that and add it into normal taxable income. So we had previously arrived at a figure of taxable income. We now add in a portion of capital gains. And that total amount then is subject to tax, uh, either PAYE or provisional tax. But let's first look at how capital gains are, are determined. So capital gains is, starts 
but then with like a top line, which is the proceeds of the disposal of capital assets. So I sell my house, I sell it for a, 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 a figure, let me take a million rand, and um, that's my proceeds. Uh, I can deduct off that selling expenses, like the commission I paid, and then I, I've arrived at, at the net proceeds. I then deduct from that my base cost, which is basically my original cost of the house, plus conveyances fees, and that gives me my base cost. If I make improvements over the years, well, then I've got an addition to base cost. And all those figures are totted up. And once that figure, base cost, is deducted from the proceeds, one actually now has an amount of, of tax of, of capital gain, then you apply this inclusion percentage. Now, the inclusion percentage for natural persons is 40%. So 40% of your gain comes into taxable income. If you're a company, it's 80% or trust is 80%. So looking at that figure for a moment, our top tax rate in South Africa is 45% for those earning more than 1.6 million a year. So you've now got you're into a 45% bracket. If you then have a capital gain, so you, I had a capital gain of, say, a, a, say a million rand net. I've got a capital gain of a million rand net. 20% must be brought into taxable uh, 40%, sorry, I'm getting myself confused. 40% into taxable income. 40% of 45% is, in fact, 18%. That means that the maximum rate of tax that a natural person can pay on capital gains is 18% of the gain. That's the maximum amount. Now, I was also um, happy to take questions at that stage if anybody's got any questions. Okay, let me move on. There'll be time for questions. Hopefully, there'll be some time for some questions at the end. Now, I was asked to talk specifically about deceased estates. Why is what what's different about deceased estates? So deceased estates, there are two stages. Firstly, somebody dies. That immediately ends their tax year. So tax year starts one March every year. Person dies at the end of July. You've got a tax year which goes from one March to 31 July. So normal calculation of tax of income, we have all the income, um, gross income earned during that period of time, less exempt income, less deductions, gives me a taxable income. But the change occurs because of capital gains, because we have a concept of, um, of, of deemed disposal. Now, this concept of deemed is actually, uh, you, you as lawyers should understand very well, that a deemed event is not an event which actually happened, but it's the law deems it to happen. The law says, pretend it's happened. And we told that we're, we're deemed to have disposed of our worldwide assets, worldwide assets for their then market value. And any gain which arises because of that deemed disposal, the inclusion amount, the 40% amount, is included into my final period taxable income. 
Now, that obviously is quite a distorting factor. And, of course, there may not be, there wasn't an actual sale. So where's the cash going to come from? And that then gets into estate planning and making sure that there's going to be sufficient cash to pay the tax on the, on, up to the date of death. Uh, and besides estate duty or any other costs of running an, an estate. Um, but so basically you've got this, this deemed disposal, which, which brings it into account. Bear in mind, as I said earlier, one tends to forget that we're dealing in South Africa with a worldwide tax system, which means all your worldwide income is brought into the South African tax net. There are exceptions. There are double tax treaties with other countries, and I'm happy to talk about that subject some other time in the future. But in principle, you've got the tax up to the date of death is normal rules plus this deemed capital disposal. Now, one more item into taxable income of the person up to date of death is lump sum received. Lump sums received from, let's say, an employer. Uh, maybe there's a, a termination payment of some kind or other. Um, there's severance pay. There's all sorts of different lump sums, um, cashing in of policies, all this could bring to account uh, additional lump sums which comes into that period up to date of death. If amounts are bequeathed to a surviving spouse, the capital gain arising on those assets are excluded from the capital gains calculation up to date of death. How does that work? Is that a free ride? No, what happens is the base cost of the person who died rolls over to, the, to be the base cost of that surviving spouse. So that means I bought an asset for a million rand, I died. Sorry, I'm. Sorry, I seem to, I think I might have muted myself by mistake. Sorry about that. So, um, where was I? Uh, Yeah, so in regard to assets which are being bequeathed to a spouse, there's no capital gain that needs to be calculated because the base cost that in when I bought the asset rolls over to my spouse. And so when the spouse sells that asset, then the capital gain is determined on the original cost in my hands and deducted from the setting price uh, in the, my, the surviving spouse's hands or when he or she dies. Um, if you realize immediately, look at the record keeping that you need. That's the biggest, biggest challenge with capital gains tax is the records that need to be kept. Okay, but so far so good. There also is no um, estate duty when assets are left to a spouse, uh, but I'm not going to go into estate duty at this stage unless there are particular questions about it. Okay, what happens now? What about income that arises after date of death? Now, if, for example, there was a final month's salary which was only paid off after date of death, that was earned prior to date of death. That, brings in, that comes into the final tax return up to date of death. But what about investment income that 
happens for monies invested after date of death or invested before but relating to a period after date of death. And that's we now get the concept of the estate itself being classified as a taxpayer. It's an unusual concept. It started this way in March 2016 for, for people who died after that date. And the estate now is like a person. It's registered with SARS, separate tax registration number to the deceased person. And the income there has got to be declared to SARS on an annual basis, the same way as if it were a living person. Um, those, that is, carries on until the LMD account is confirmed. Now, that could be quite a few years. And the, that tax has to be paid um, out of the, the, the funds with the executor. So he or she needs to make provision for that tax payable. Um, and it's quite difficult often to get all the information and to get them into the different tax years. It's, it's a, an issue which executors didn't really have to worry about in the past because really any tax, any income that was earned after date of death accrued to the beneficiaries who were going to get those assets. But now the estate itself is, is a, a taxpayer. Once the L&D account is confirmed and you've hand over the assets to the heirs, then from then on the heirs pay the tax. So they pay tax on any income earned thereafter. But just as a, as a comment in passing, we were talking about capital gains. Excluded from capital gains is a number of issues, and they're excluded from normal tax of income as well. Inheritances are not subject to, to tax. Um, win the lottery in South Africa, and it's not subject to tax. Win the lottery overseas, yeah, that's subject to capital gains tax in South Africa. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about worldwide income, bear in mind that SARS has so much information at their disposal. Don't think that they don't know about things. They just take a long while to get around to it. But yeah, that's, that's the main, the main idea that you, yeah, they've got, they've got the information. Um, okay. So that's a quick, quick overview. Let's, let me ask, are there any questions at this stage? And then I'll deal with a couple of things in a little bit more detail. No questions? Okay. Getting a free ride. Okay. Okay, so let's look a little bit more deeply into um, a couple of the concepts that I've talked about. So going into capital gains, there are exclusions. So one of the exclusions, for example, is personal use assets. So I've got a painting on my wall. It's grown in value. I don't have to pay capital gains on that. I've got my private residence, which I've lived in for many years, and I now sell it or die, and it's a deemed disposal. The first two million rand of any gain is excluded. Um, and there are many sort of similar items. So my motor car, which I use every day, no problem. There's no uh, gain on, on, on that, although it's very unlikely that a, a car would be worth more than what you paid for it. It would be nice. That's only in, in, uh, in fairy tales. Um, um, let me think of other items that may be involved. Um, yeah, 
There are special um, exclusions that for, if you're a small business person and there, there are definitions for this, then the gain made on the sale of your small business is not subject to capital gains tax. Um, and there are many other special, exa- special cases um, with capital gains tax. I want to talk about a couple of inclusions in capital gains tax where you guys get involved. So if it's a non-resident person who's selling a property, there's withholding tax that you're obliged to withhold from the selling proceeds before paying over to the seller. Um, sale, it starts with a disposal. Disposal is very widely defined. So I've got a piece of ground and the government expropriates it and pays me some compensation. That's a disposal. Even though it was involuntary, it's a disposal. Um, and I've, I sell my property to you. You pay a deposit of, of 100,000 rand and then the sale falls through. I keep the 100,000 rand. Uh, that's taxable. That's part of capital gains. It was part of a disposal process. So I sell uh, my book rights. That's a disposal, capital disposal. It's any disposal is very, very widely defined uh, and, you know, captures most, most items into, into that uh, capital gains net. Um, Try to think of other examples to give. Um, yeah, when when you're in a, a what if the the house that you're living in was in fact owned jointly between husband and wife? Um, that's fine. That would be then half that two million rand benefit, that uh, exclusion. Half of half of the two million comes off each of them. So you've got not two million each, one million each. It's not they don't both get two million rand. Um, if you using your house as a study, you've got a room set aside as a study and you've been claiming expenses against your salaried income or your tax or your earned income in any way, realize that if you were claiming, let's say 10% of your house expenses, that when you sell the house, 10% of the sale proceeds will not be excluded because of that 2 million rand exemption that will be subject to capital gains tax. Um, How's uh, our time going? Okay, in time? Okay. So a few minutes. Again, happy to take questions. Um, with, um, yeah, with, with, with a company, just to look at it, a company is, is just for a couple of minutes. They get treated in the same way with gross income, less exempt income, deducting uh, deductions, and then, then paying tax. They then have another level of tax. So they pay tax at a normal tax rate of 28%. And then when they declare a dividend, they pay 20, there's 20% dividends tax paid on the resulting of the balance. So you had 100 grand profit, 28% tax, you're left with 72%. Your 20% dividends tax is calculated on the 72%. So it's 14.4%. So you had your 28% and then 14.4% brings your overall company tax rate to 42.4% as compared to a top rate for individuals of 45%. Trusts pay tax on also on taxable income. That's at 45% flat rate. 
unless the income is distributed to beneficiaries and they then pay in their own hands as opposed to the the trust. Um, Non-residents who earn taxable income in South Africa will pay tax in South Africa on that income, subject to any double tax treaty, Um, whereas they will not pay tax in South Africa on their worldwide income. So if I'm tax resident in South Africa, I pay on worldwide income, but if a non-resident buys a property, he or she may never have been to South Africa, but they buy a property just off the books and they earn rental income from that, they're going to be subject to tax in South Africa on that rental income. Um, leaves us with three, four minutes. Um, anything else you need me to deal with? Kent, if I could yes. just ask you, just going back to that work from home, so... Yes. So if you've got a work-from-home scenario and you're claiming back 10% and then, of course, the 10% of your sale proceeds get taxed, when you're calculating your your deductions, your capital losses, would it also be 10%? So if you look at major renovations and things that you would normally deduct from your capital gains tax calculation, would you also just allocate 10% of that? Yeah. Well, you'd it would write, really, you take the cap, compute, compute the capital gain and exclude 10%. Which is okay. uh, yeah on both sides yeah absolutely um, and that's why many people hesitate about claiming home study. If you actually see the interpretation note issued by SARS on how they understand how when it applies, I mean I'm sitting in a room which is my study at home, but I happen to have a TV set in my room, and that's a problem. Uh, and I've got a couch over there, and sometimes the family sits on it. The room is supposed to be exclusively used by you. I've got another computer in this room which my wife uses. <laughs> Dead. It's not my exclusive yeah, room. It's, it's, yeah, it's very difficult to claim home study expenses. Anything else? And you, and you can't, um, and you would have had to have claimed that. You can't then come up with that in the year that you're deciding to sell because that often happens, you know our clients are selling their primary residences, realizing they're now going to make quite a substantial gain uh, in excess of $2 million, and they start scrambling around looking for all sorts of deductibles. Yeah, and the only deductible really is, is selling expenses, direct selling expenses, and then that base cost, which is the original cost plus cost of improvements, etc. Uh, yeah, it, there's, there's not much wiggle room. And the, the real difficulty is this that you bought the house 20 years ago or more. What records have you got of, that, of the, the improvements that you did 20 years ago? Uh, and basically, SARS is always entitled to ask for vouchers or copies of vouchers to see, you know, to prove the expenses. Very, very difficult. Very difficult. Can, if there's an argument with SARS, you're on the back foot when it comes to proving your, your expenses. And, and in our department, of course, dealing with deceased estates, um, you know, how sticky do SARS get if we if we submit as much as we can to yourselves as accountants? But then, of course, the deceased has passed away. Maybe the surviving spouse has also passed. Kids are living overseas. There's very little documentation. We might even have uh, – we've got estates where the deceased hasn't really attended to um, the tax affairs for a good few years. We've got pensioners who maybe never – um, you know, got housewives who've never been um, taxpayers or registered taxpayers. How sticky does SARS get in terms of trying to ask us to produce that kind of documentation that we can't produce? Look, there's 
they recognize that there's a challenge as well. So it's not it's not totally against us. But one has to accept that if you if it's a big amount and it's you, you really got no documentary evidence at all, you, you're you're up against a, a problem. But generally speaking, you can't say that I never earned interest income when you you die and you've got a five million rand fixed deposit. I mean, come on, you know. So so there's there's enough background evidence. Yes, that guy worked and was paid in cash three years ago. Nobody's going to know about it. But certainly, you know, things that are easily trackable and traceable. Yeah, you know, you set let out your home on Airbnb. Yeah, is going to know about it. Yeah, oh, that's quite a common one. Absolutely, I, I'm I'm very aware. Um, okay, I'm watching the time. It's it's eight thirty. I'm happy to continue for a few minutes, but I realise that uh, we all got to go back to work. Yeah. Does anyone yeah. have any questions while we've got Kent on the line? Otherwise, all good. If there's if there's anything else, we'll probably, if anyone wants to um, refer matter to you, we'll just share your details so they can uh, contact Lindsay Bakari in the Deceased Estates Department and she can put you in touch with, with Kent, Director at Crow Horworth. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Kent. Pleasure. It's lovely Have having you. And thank you for weekend. breaking it down. We're, yeah, we're attorneys, not um, tax consultants. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Bye. Legally speaking, this podcast has come to an end. Thanks for joining the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing, visit us at stbb.co.za for more info.